Right now, we want to focus on two words, collaboration and communication. Hello, everyone. This is Dan Mosier, and this is the Mosier Media Podcast. Today, I want to talk about the potential pitfall when you have the client in the kitchen. And let me begin by saying that my belief is the client is always right. This is the fundamental principle of business. The customer is always right. And you have to live by this philosophy. But in this discussion, I'm going to stray into some places that might lead you to believe that I think the client is misbehaving or acting inappropriately. And I want to just correct this right now. The client is always right. Today, I want to explore a challenge that creatives face that could potentially be solved through collaboration and communication. I want to talk about the role of the client in determining who would be on a project. What roles will the individuals at the production company or the digital marketing firm or the creative services group will be involved in the project? Who's going to be involved in the project? And this can have a huge outcome on the results, certainly. And what we'll stroll into here a little bit is the idea of a lean crew versus a large team. And of course, in the old days, we all believed if you're going to do a film shoot, if you're going to do a big project, you need the whole crew. You need the extra hands. You need the extra production assistants. You need craft services. You need the makeup artists. You need everybody. And that's back in the day. And now we're in a different world and we have to adjust to change. And one of the changes we're going to talk about is the idea that the client can have certainly has a great deal of influence over the budget. And if they ask you for a line item proposal and if they want that line item proposal to include exactly who will be on a pre-production session, a shoot the post-production process, what services are we going to be provided, what roles will be required for the shoot, and what positions. And let's think about the shoot for a second with your uh, photographers and your uh, director of photography, your your camera operators, your uh, lighting person, the audio technician, the grip, uh, up and down, the whole, you know, everything. And try to imagine in the era of change where now with technology, clients might be looking at some of these budgets and saying, we could do this with less people. And again, that affects the outcome. And this presents a crisis for creatives. There are the entrepreneurs and the salespeople who want the business and need the sale. I probably fall into that category, let's say. Then, of course, there are creatives who want every project to be something that can go directly to the top of their portfolio. There was and still is this saying, one for the meal and one for the real. And that saying sometimes was used when a client would come in with a change. And so you would have the idea of the director's cut and the client cut. And perhaps the client would come in and revise a video project to the point where, well, let's say you just didn't agree with the client's revisions. And on your portfolio, you showed your version. I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. But now perhaps one for the meal and one for the real might mean that our creative services firm or our video production company takes on projects that we're not real passionate about or we don't agree with how the budget was structured or how the client is approaching the project. And frankly, the client is always right. So you do what you're asked to do. But again, 
Many creatives got into the field not for the money, but for the glory and the passion and the art. And so we must address this conflict. And again, I'm going to suggest that the solution is collaboration and communication. So in our executive chef and our restaurant analogy with the idea of the client in the kitchen, the executive chef wants to create the perfect entree, an absolute incredible world-class dining experience. That's why you're an executive chef. And your job as the executive chef, I'm sure, is to run the kitchen and all the cooks and all the uh, line cooks and all the, the, the line prep and all the people that right down to the dishwasher, right? This kitchen has to work perfectly. And there's all these roles. If the client comes back and asks the cook to start removing ingredients or to speed things up in order to save time and money, then the meal, the entree, is not going to be what everyone is expecting from this world-class restaurant. What were to happen if you went into your favorite steakhouse and you just love the filet mignon and you just want it uh, with the Bernays hot? I mean, you just know how you like it. But then you look at the the price on the menu and you said, you know, I wonder, it's, this is $75 for this steak dinner. And you just took it upon yourself to get up and go back in the kitchen and take a look at their process and say, you know what? We could probably do with one less person over here. We could probably cut back on, look at the food costs here. Let, let's cut some of this. Certainly, you could imagine you go back to the table and you wait for the, and it comes out and it's not quite what you expected. Do you really feel better because you've come in under budget? You've got it down to $50 for the steak dinner, but it's not as good. But why not? Well, here's the problem. The problem is, what if there's a business case for this? Certainly, it's called return on investment. What if people are making videos and they're expecting the next time around, the next year's worth of work, that they need to do a little bit more video content for the same budget? Rarely, in my experience, only only 27 years in video production, so I've got a lot to learn and I'm not being facetious. I really do have a lot to learn. But rarely have I noticed that clients expand budgets year over year. How often does this happen? In some cases, perhaps. In some cases, the business mission might change or there could be other circumstances or there could be additional work that comes along. But rarely do clients expand budgets for the same amount of work. What they're typically looking to do is expand or increase the amount of video content they're able to do within the same budget or perhaps even reduce the budget slightly and increase the amount of work that can be produced. And what's wrong with this? The client is always right. If the client wants to maximize the budget by tweaking the line item or questioning the various roles, then what's wrong with that? And let's give some examples of questioning the various roles. The client might say, do we really need a separate audio engineer? When we do the shoot, can the second camera person run audio and maybe do lighting? I mean, once the lights are set up, then that person turns around to do the camera work. Well, what if the client suggests to you, the video producer, that they could eliminate the grip position at a whatever uh, however you know many hundreds of dollars a day or $500 a day or whatever the charge is for a grip for the day, right? What if the client says, you know, we can eliminate the cost of having a grip. I'll just carry the gear myself. I'm traveling along with you. I can carry the cases. I can help you set up lights. 
And, and what's wrong with this? Perhaps through communication, if you have a good working relationship with your client, your client could suddenly turn around and work for you on a shoot. There's a, a minor conflict there in terms of how that how that would go, a, a sudden switch of roles. I mean, when you have a grip with you and you say, hey, and the grip knows where you, you don't have to bark a lot of orders. The grip knows where things go and what's in what case and all of those sorts of things. And to be able to turn around and yell at a grip, perhaps you don't you don't want to mistreat anyone, but you can communicate with your grip in a way that you can't communicate with your client. You could you could have a little discussion on the side about how things are going to go and you might not be comfortable having that discussion with your clients suddenly working for your crew as one of the assistants. There could be a potential problem there. But if the client's comfortable with that and it saves money, then the client's always right. What if they want to do that? That has happened. Everything I'm discussing here has happened. And how do you handle it as the as the person who wants to guarantee the outcome, as the person whose name is on the work? And what happens if you're working really hard to create all this video content that you're not proud of or you're unsure of the outcome because certain tools that you like and people that you enjoy working with have been eliminated from the budget? What do you do? And again, collaboration and communication could help to be a solution could potentially help to mitigate some of these challenges caused by this very real situation, this very real change that's happening in our business. And certainly, again, we don't want to push blame or say these clients are terrible because our clients are wonderful and we want to accommodate their needs. And we certainly want to be open to change and recognize that everything from the economy to the kinds of industries that we work in Every, and, and changes in everything, including the way video is distributed, like YouTube and uh, on the website and uh, the need for the video. We certainly understand return on investment drives everything. Getting back to some of these questions, what if the client cancels a shoot that involves travel and instead hires a local crew that will send the footage? Or what happens when a client decides to shoot their own video on a DSLR. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with this in some cases where, you know, if there's just a place that a marketing executive is going to go and they are going to pick up a 10-second shot of some machine working in some remote location and it just simply does not make economic sense to send a video production crew to this factory in the middle of nowhere, but the marketing person is going to be there and they happen to do a quick shot and it's going to be 1% of the final video. You know, in, in back in the day, you could forgive quite a bit of that and really just allow it without a lot of hesitation. But there are cases, certainly, where clients that you've done really high-end projects, uh, really high-end videos for, and they have simply come back the following year and said, you know, we're going to do a little more of this on the DSLR. You know, our people are going to shoot a little more of this in the field on their own. Uh, there have even been cases where cell phone video comes to us, say, hey, we're going to go to this shot for this particular scene. And you're looking at it and you're saying, well, then how are we going to sell in the future? For any of us in the creative services field, the portfolio is our showroom. And if your business strays too far into being a service bureau where people are simply sending you DSLR footage and cell phone video and you're a post-production house trying to make it work with very little to work with, then your port portfolio is going to evaporate and the chance of finding bigger and better projects down the road, uh, be, those chances begin to evaporate as well. With that, the client is always right. 
What happens when you're not pleased with the results? What if, like I said, you went into the creative field because you like putting out really great work that you're proud of, and now you have the client in the kitchen telling you that the sauces have too many expensive ingredients and that you're grilling the steak too long? What do you do? I want to talk for a minute, just completely off topic, about Goodwill. If you have a Goodwill store near you, I want to invite you to donate, to shop there. You do not have to be poor to shop at a Goodwill. There are a number of really nice things in a Goodwill store, but there is so much more to the Goodwill story. And what I'd like to do is use this podcast, use this brief pause in our thoughts about collaboration and communication and clients in the kitchen and what are we going to do and uh, the chances of building our portfolio are, are decreasing as, as client requests are taking us off to places we don't want to go. What do we do? Let, what you do is you take a break from all of it and you think about what are the other things we can do in the world to do something great? And one thing you can do is support goodwill and understand that their mission is a lot more than operating retail stores and taking in used goods. They serve the community in an incredible way, and here's how they do it. They are involved in an incredible amount of job placement for those in need. There is a backstory to Goodwill, a hidden part of Goodwill that many people do not know about. People look at Goodwill and think, that's where I'm going to go to drop off my old clothes. But you need to know this. If you have a Goodwill store near you, if Goodwill relied only on poor people to shop there, people with the lower financial means, then they would not survive. And that's a crazy thing. You think, well, I donate all my stuff to Goodwill. Why would I want to go there and buy all my other stuff back? There's so much more to it. And I'm going to suggest, encourage you, in fact, to look at Goodwill Go in and buy something. And what you're doing is you're supporting an organization that helps people with job training, job placement, those with disabilities, those who are just struggling to find work. And this, you don't describe these people as poor people. These are Americans. These are our citizens. These are regular people. This is you and me. This is us. So I want you to think about goodwill and perhaps take a moment the next time you have an opportunity or if you're dropping something off, go in and look around, buy something. I went to a Goodwill event this morning and the CEO of uh, the Goodwill of Greater Cleveland and uh, East Central Ohio uh, gave a moving presentation and they highlighted some of the folks who had been helped in terms of the job training and job placement and these people were down on their luck and some of them do in fact have some disabilities and the idea that an employer and Goodwill would partner together to help everybody. The employer needs, it's a tight labor market. We need help. We need employees. And the work that Goodwill does is just incredible. So as we revisit our discussion, and forgive me for uh, going off on a little side note there, but just really moved by what the folks at Goodwill do and needed to share that in that podcast. And what I want to do is come back to the idea of all of us operating businesses in the creative field need to think about what we can do to adjust our attitudes and move with the times because times of course are changing and the driving factors are the demand for video content going through the roof 
And I will share a funny side note. I heard on more than one occasion, I heard a very educated person in the marketing field tell someone else, I saw your YouTube. I saw your YouTube. And this strikes me for a lot of reasons. This executive didn't say, I saw your video. This executive said, I saw your YouTube and learned a lot about your organization. And did this marketing executive mean, I saw your YouTube channel? I saw your YouTube video? But the point being is YouTube is a huge part of this video revolution that's driving the demand for content, but YouTube may be partially to blame for some of the challenges we face in the creative field and in the video production world because YouTube is forgiving. The YouTube audience is forgiving. Think about how much video content is on there that was uploaded directly from a smartphone. And think about how much user-generated content comes to marketers and advertisers from uh, uh, various sources, uh, ridiculous uh, small camcorders to GoPros to smartphones, the gamut, certainly. And these marketers and advertisers wisely want to use user-generated content to help promote their brand. And, And why not? It's authentic and it's it's real. Perhaps that's another word for authentic, but it also these it provides a testimonial. And if the advertiser, the marketer, can compensate the person providing user-generated content, providing this cell phone video of the product in use, uh, compensate them in the form of attention on YouTube or promoting, and that's all the end user wants is, hey, look at me trying out these new rollerblades, and then you upload it to the rollerblade company, and now you're a you're on their YouTube channel as a star. Most consumers are perfectly fine with that. They're not interested in a talent fee and compensation for the video. Maybe they are. Maybe they get a free uh, pair of rollerblades out of it. That also. But even if the manufacturer of the rollerblades gave away a free pair of rollerblades, is that less expensive than hiring a video production company and a group of creatives to go make a video? And what if that advertiser and that marketer believes that that user-generated content is actually more effective. And what if they look at return on investment? Of course, everyone looks at return on investment. The challenge that I'm presenting here today with the caveat that our belief is that the client is always right and we are as a business here to do what the client asks. Our role is to listen to what the demands are. But we are allowed to voice our concerns when our interest is in the outcome, when we have been trained over decades to believe that quality of work is paramount, is, is absolutely the priority, and that lesser quality work is an embarrassment to your company and to your brand and to your name as the creative person. So you have a bit of an identity crisis. Are you a service provider providing video editing services to anyone, much like in the days of the the Kinkos, and I'm sure that the FedEx uh, Kinkos, or uh, I'm not sure what they're called now even, but back in the day, you know, as a college-aged person, I could go into the Kinkos on the campus of the University of Akron, right there on Exchange Street. I could walk over. I, I did not have a real fancy computer with a color printer at that time, but I could go make my own business cards. 
And I could walk in or I could lay out my own brochure and I knew how to use the Photoshop and all the software and all this kind of stuff. And I didn't have a copy of Photoshop at that time, but I walked into the Kinko's and you paid per minute to just use the computer. So Kinko's isn't in the creative services business at that point. They're in the business of renting out the real estate that they have and the computer they have and the software that they have and the the electric that they're providing and putting it all together. And that provides value to somebody that needs all of that for a half hour to an hour. And I pay twenty five dollars or 20 bucks or whatever it was for that period of time. But Kinko's isn't in the creative services business. And try to imagine all the people in printing. Try to imagine all the print shops of that era that were having this crisis when this particular competitor comes in, when the market changes to the point where a customer could go into a print shop and meet with a graphic designer and lay out a business card and then the print shop printed it. And of course, think about uh, even Vistaprint and how that threatens the printing business or uh, did they improve it or did they threaten it or did they ruin it? It depends on who you ask. Did Kinko's uh, taking advantage of the idea of the desktop publishing in the in the late 80s and 90s uh, ruin the, the print shop business? I, I don't know. But I'm sure there were a lot of people in the printing business that had a gripe about this. But in that Kinko's analogy, where I'm going in and designing my own business card and I'm just doing it on the spot, I'm the client in this case. And I had worked at a print shop in high school, so I understood a little bit about the printing business. I was the guy that swept the floor at the, at the printing concepts in Stowe, Ohio. And it was a nice, fun job. And I learned a lot from the business owner, a brilliant guy. And I, I would watch him, and I thought, oh, it's sort of, uh, you know, I would listen to him as the, as the Kinko's era was starting. So that's where some of this comes from. And now here I am 30 years later thinking, our business is going through change in other options coming into the marketplace for clients to do something different than what they were doing for us. But what happens when you're in that transition period where you're doing your thing, you're operating a video production company and the client steps into the kitchen and starts altering the ingredients and changing the way that you're doing things for their benefit? And what if it's secretly, if you listen carefully, what if it's to your benefit? to pay attention to why they're doing what they're doing and why they're trying to get more for less. What are they trying to tell you? That you're too expensive? That they believe that this could be done better? And who are you? Well, you're the creative. You're the expert. Who are you to say, no, we are going to have four people on the shoot or we're not doing the job? You can't do that. But what if the two people that have to work a tight budget shoot and two people have to do the work of four and we've sped up production and now we've determined that we need to do five shots instead of three. We need to shoot five videos in a day instead of two. So for the same amount of money, we've got to do more video content. And who are we as the service provider to say, no, we're not going to do that. Would, would the client find somebody else? Would we be out of business? This is where collaboration and communication comes into play. If you have a relationship with your client where you really understand what they're trying to do and you really understand their business goals and you understand return on investment, how can you provide a solution? And in the interest of communication, how can you find a way to communicate to the rest of the world what the circumstances were on this particular video project? 
And this is how we're going to conclude today. I'm going to suggest that the solution is under a different name. And here's what I'm going for. Is there anything wrong with being in the business of operating a high-end steak restaurant, but also being a Wendy's franchisee? I love Wendy's. My son loves Wendy's. Of all the fast food places, I mean, he likes McDonald's. He loves Taco Bell. We like all these places. We like Arby's. We like them all. There is a fast food meal that he hasn't uh, enjoyed. I mean, he just he likes them all. Uh, but for some reason, Wendy's rises to the top. And I think it's because I like Wendy's. I like the homestyle chicken sandwich. I think it's number four on the value meal. I like the fries. I got I to stay away from the fries. But if you're going in there and you want to eat healthy, I can get the salad. So he can have his homestyle chicken sandwich and I can have a salad. Everybody's happy at the Wendy's. But if you were the operator, owner and operator of a high-end steakhouse in town, and then you also, down the street, happen to be part owner of the Wendy's, what would be wrong with that? The client came back and said, I don't want to wait 20 minutes for a meal that's $75. Right now, at this point in my life, I just need a cheeseburger served to me in my car through a window. The client, and you can't do that as the, at the steakhouse. Could you imagine if they come through and you installed a drive through You cannot install the drive through window at your high-end steakhouse. They pull up and say, yeah, you know what? I would like the filet mignon. I really like the Brunets. I would like the asparagus. Uh, oh, yes, I'll have that uh, medium rare. And you and excuse me, what are you telling me? It's not going to be done by the time I pay and pull up to the next window. This is unacceptable. This is just not going to work. And what steakhouse owner would want to do that? This is foolish. A ridiculous story. I can't even believe I made up this uh, kind of uh, scenario in this podcast. This whole thing is just going off the rails here. But what would be wrong with opening a Wendy's in the same town where you operate a steakhouse? Then you could address all of your clients' needs. You have some clients over here that just want a great uh, fried chicken sandwich with fries, and maybe another member of the family wants a salad. The Wendy's is perfect for this. So you decide you have a lot of experience in the restaurant business, and you're doing okay financially. you got a lot of money. You've operated the steakhouse. you, you got some money. You qualify to be a Wendy's franchisee. So you open a Wendy's down the street. Now you're serving everyone happily. And if somebody comes in and says, hey, you know, we're, we're thinking about getting something to eat. What do you suggest tonight? And you own both restaurants? You could say, well, are you in the mood for something inexpensive that's really great and will be served to you quickly? Or would you like to come in and have a full experience? You can't have a glass of wine at the Wendy's. They just simply will not permit this. It's just, you know, I've looked into it. They will not allow it. But if you're into a steak and a nice glass of red wine, you got to go to the steakhouse. But this is where the collaboration and communication and listening to your clients come in. And you must provide solutions. You have to provide solutions. So what would be wrong with, as the creative services person, having another option that addresses this issue? What would be wrong with setting up an office and a bunch of video editors, very talented uh, video editors in a room, perhaps individuals at the beginning of their career in video production, and setting up uh, them up in a room in an office down the street? 
And you have clients that are coming to you that you have a good enough relationship with that you could explain to them, hey, you know, my uh, uh, films production operation over here, you know, we're doing these high-end films, and it's not that we don't have time for you, but I think that this team over here is a better solution for what you need to accomplish. Through collaboration and communication, you've kicked the client out of the kitchen and sent them down to the Wendy's, and there is nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. I really appreciate your time in listening to my podcast. And I suggest if you're a business owner, install a studio in your facility. Put in a sound booth and just go in and talk about your business for about a half hour a day. Openly share the challenges and what the solutions might be and have a lot of fun because I'm going to tell you right now, it is extremely therapeutic. I hope that you find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash Mosier Media. I hope you find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Mosier Media. I welcome emails. Dan at MosierMedia.com. Take a look at our website. I think we're doing great work. Our team is very talented. We're having a lot of fun. I'm very passionate about what we do, and I'm very passionate about finding a solution for every client that comes our way. Of course, we have the old school phone number. We have 330-376-3500, a telephone number I have had since the mid-90s. And it is unbelievable to me that I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on the Facebook, I'm on, and I get client requests through text message, through uh, everything but the telephone. And I keep promising we're going to have a long discussion about the need for the phone system. Do we need a phone system in the creative field? when everybody wants to talk through email and through the website contact form. And that's where a lot of the leads are coming in. But that is a podcast for another day. I thank you for listening. I have reached my goal of keeping this under 30 minutes. And I hope you have a great day.